Well, good morning, Oakwood. Welcome to part three of a series we're in on 2 Peter. We're going to be looking at chapter two today. So if you want to find that in your Bibles, you can start turning there now. We are excited that you are here this morning. I bring you greetings this morning uh, before we get into it from Fort Worth, Texas. From the Hills Church, uh, 17 uh, men from our church went down to a men's conference this weekend on Friday and Saturday and had a great, great time together. Friday night, we got to hear Tony Evans live and in person, and uh, yesterday morning was Bob Goff, and it ended yesterday with Rick Atchley, who is actually the senior pastor at the Hills Church, and uh, man, just a great time of fellowship, a great challenge uh, for men to rise up. And what was interesting about uh, this weekend is that some of the speakers, when they are speaking, were using some scripture from 1 Peter, because of, I think it's what, what, what is written to the culture, it, it is, is what, what is going on today. You know, back in 1 Peter, in this time when this was written, the Christian church was coming under persecution. The world felt like it was starting to tear apart and fall apart. And, you know, man, we could always be civilized, and now we're uncivilized, and we could always, you know, do this. And it felt like we were going a good direction, and even morally, uh, you know, and maybe even spiritually, it felt like we were in a good place and moving in the right direction, and now, now it feels like a mess. And does anyone relate to that in our world today? Does it feel that way to, to any of you? One of the speakers this weekend, I thought, made a great, great point. He said, you know what? We used to always have home field advantage as Christians. No longer. We are now the visiting team. You know, you, you would have said, and I would have said even growing up as, as a kid here in the United States of America, that we had Judeo-Christian values and that those values went beyond the church. They, they played out in schools. I, I remember when I went to school, we prayed every morning when we started our school day. I remember that we could say the Pledge of Allegiance, there was no controversy about one nation under God. I remember as you went out, and there was just civility. Even if you disagreed with someone, there was just this civility there and this care and compassion to hear people and to be heard. There was a spirit of unity more amongst our country. And then you get to today, and it feels like it's just fractured, and it's all falling apart. And, and I would say that we're slowly slipping away, and I think that the speaker was right when he said, hey, we are on the visiting team now. We are on the road. Now, what's it like to be on the road? The Cincinnati Bengals are going to find out today <laughs> what it's like to be in Arrowhead Stadium when you got 82,000 people in unity yelling at you when you're trying to run a play. What's it like to be the visiting team and be on the road, church? You feel like you've got the weight of the world coming against you. Everyone's yelling at you. Everybody's wanting you to mess up, and they're wanting to mess you up. They're wanting to mess up the cadence of your life. It's hard to be on the road. It's hard to be the visiting team, but that's where we're at. And it's into that kind of context that we read 1 Peter that we get that this is how the Christians at this time were feeling. The world was falling apart. It had been civilized and, and maybe even Christianity a little bit accepted as a part of society. And now, now it was going to be persecuted. Now it was going to try to be thrust out and shut out. And it was into that that we remember the theme of this whole book was found in chapter 5 of, of 1 Peter where he said, hey, this faith that you have in Jesus Christ, the living hope, stand fast in it. Stand firm, Christians. Stand firm. And do what God is calling you to do. 
We're going to dive even more into that today. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, if you have your Bible, turn there. If you uh, didn't bring your Bible or you choose to follow along a different way, I know a lot of people use their phone, or your tablet, your iPad, download the Oakwood app, and uh, if you refresh that, there's sermon notes, uh, click on the sermon notes there. It takes you uh, right into uh, all the scripture, all the bullet points for today. There's even a way for you to interact and take notes there because we're going to continue to be challenged. Remember where we started the first week. It was all about our living hope and Christ Jesus is sufficient for us. And then right after that, last week we talked about how it's a call to be holy, right? To be holy, to be set apart, and to be different from the world. And so many times today we get sucked in, don't we? I mean, if we're being honest, we get sucked. We, we look just like the world. We spend our money just like the world. We talk and speak language just like the world. We have the same values of the world. And Peter would say, no, 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 no. And today, he's even, he's, he, it's even amped up more today. It's even a step further. It's a calling. It's a privilege that we have as God's chosen people, but there's also a responsibility that comes with it. Let's read the passage together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It starts with what? It starts with, therefore, because he is our living hope, because we are called to be a holy people, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, Envy and slander of any kind. Remember, we're trying to put off the old, put on the new. Verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, the living stone, notice capital S there on stone, that's Jesus. It's a reference to, to Jesus, the Son of God. As you come to him, to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, Christ followers, are like living stones. And you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We're going to have to understand what that means. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, God's people, Christians, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is God speaking to us today through First Peter? You see, our privileges and our responsibilities as God's people is what he's presenting in this passage today. We have, we have privileges to know Christ, but we also, with those privileges, come responsibility. And Peter is challenging and encouraging believers to stand firm through it all and to do what God's called them to do. Our privileges and responsibilities as God's people. First one is this. We are consistently growing up in God's family. We are consistently growing up in God's 
family, growing up in God's family. We're, t- we're talking about maturity here. Have you ever said that to someone? Man, I wish you would grow up. Man, I wish you would grow up. I wish she would just grow up, acting like a child. But I wonder sometimes, wow, do we have that in the church? Do we have this issue in the church? A lot of Christians walking around, I've been a Christian, oh, I've been a Christian 25 years, acting like a baby Christian, acting like a child. We're called to mature and to grow up in Christ. You So I think the immaturity, which a lot of times manifests itself in hypocrisy, really, they're both a Trojan horse that I think is killing the witness and the testimony and the power of evangelism for God's church today. And we have got to grow up in our salvation and mature as Christians. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and the message puts it this way. The message is a paraphrase of Scripture. And the message puts it this way in, in contemporary language. It says, so come on. Let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises on Christ, and let's get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are all in place. Turning your back on salvation by self-help and, and, and turning in trust toward God, baptismal instructions, laying on, of hand, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, God helping us. We'll stay true to all that, but there's so much more. Let's get on with it. Let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises and let's get on with the grand work of art. Let's not be immature people, but let's be growing and mature people in Christ Jesus. You see, the Christian life can be summarized as a journey toward maturity and sanctification in Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of times, and I had this view when I was younger, that the more you age, the older you get, the more mature you are. I would say that is true in age and in age only. That doesn't mean that you automatically, if you're 29 and you say, hey, I've accepted Christ when I'm 20, when I'm 30, I'm going to be more mature in Christ Jesus. That is not necessarily true. I know some people have been Christians for a long time and they act like babies. Baby Christians, I mean. They act like someone who is an infant in Christ. Attitudes and actions have not come under control of the Holy Spirit. The process of sanctification, it seems like one day they just went, I went this far and I'm not going any further. And you look at the fruit of their life and most Christians be like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to say anything though, you know, because, you know, I'm not perfect and, you know, the whole plank eye thing and, you know, I don't want to get up in someone's spiritual business. That's between them and the Lord, right? It's just between them and the Lord. And, you know, this body of believers thing is just for, just for consumers, for consumption, not for relationships and trying to you know, build each other up toward love and good deeds and spur one another on. No, we're not into that. We just, you know, but we have a problem, church. And it, and it negates evangelism and negates our testimony and it negates the power of the gospel. We are called to grow in Christ. And that's why I think that the Bible is so important. We have to get more of this word in our lives. We have to get more studied. So many people, I don't know what God wants for my life. Read the Bible. You'll figure it out. It's pretty plain to most people. There's a pathway to a good life, not only in this world, but in eternity. And it's found in the pages of Scripture. And that's why we put a high priority on the Bible here at Oakwood. 
There's, I mean, if you were to come to me and say, hey, hey, I really want to grow this year in Christ Jesus. I really, this is my, I really want to grow. What's one, I can only have time for one thing, you know, because I got all these other things I do. So one thing, if I could do one thing, what should I do? I wouldn't tell you to go to Sunday school. I wouldn't tell you to go to D group on Wednesday night. I wouldn't, wouldn't tell you to join a ministry team. Now, will all those things grow you? Absolutely. In fact, some of our most mature Christians do those things in God's church. But if you were to say, I can only do one thing, I would tell you, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Meditate on it day and night. Read the scripture. Understand the scripture. Read the Bible. Understand the Bible. Let this penetrate your heart. It will change your life. We need this knowledge. And I know it doesn't just stop with knowledge. We need knowledge and the application of it. We don't want to be merely hearers of the word, but we want to be doers as well, Scripture says. But we need to get into the Bible. There's an organization called Back to the Bible that did a survey several years ago. They they, they surveyed 400,000 people about their Bible reading tendencies. And it's extensive research. You read all this stuff online. Well, one of the things that I thought, thought was really interesting is they, they found this. Those who read their Bibles four or more times per week, okay, so, you know, 60% of their week, four, four or more times per week, those who read that, here's some statistics on that. Four more times per week, those people that read the Bible four more times per week, 407% are more likely to memorize Scripture, if you would just read the Bible four or more times per week. Because let me tell you what happens. You read the Bible and you're like, ooh, wow, I need that truth in my life. I need, man, I, I don't want to have to find it. I don't want to have to carry my Bible around. I guess I could highlight it on my phone and put it in notes. No, I'm going to memorize it. I want that one on instant recall. I need the challenge of Titus 1.16 in my life. They claim to know Christ, but by their actions, they deny him. Yeah, that challenges me. I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to be a Titus 1.16 Christian. So, yeah, I need that in my life. So I'm going to memorize that. I'm going to take that to heart. That's going to challenge me. That's what happens when you read Scripture. 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. If a person reads the Bible four more times per week, they are 228% more likely to share their faith with another person. Could you, are you telling me? That if I could get you guys to read the Bible four more times per week, you are 228% more likely to share your faith with another person. That you would actually live out the great commission in your life where Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. That you would actually live that out. You would actually share your faith with somebody. People, can we just make a commitment? Let's read the Bible four or more times per week. Hey, how about every day? If people that read their Bibles four more times per week are 59% less likely to view pornography, why is that correlation there? Let me tell you, if you're somebody that struggles with that, it's hard to read the scriptures and then to continue sinning. And if you're in a habitual sin pattern and you read scripture that says, hey, be holy as I am holy. Read Jeremiah, it talks about covenant eyes, guys. It's really hard to get back to what you're looking at that's not pleasing to the Lord. And it says here that 59% less likely to view pornography if they'll just read the Bible four or more times per week. Another one, people read the Bible four more times per week. 31% less likely to struggle with loneliness. You, You mean in reading the scripture could actually help us with feelings of like anxiety and depression and loneliness? It can maybe even help us with mental health things we have going on. And this is just scratching the surface. 
I mean, there were statistics in there on marriages staying together, on friendships and relationships that are actually like real friendships. The people that read the Bible just across the board have a better life, and it plays out in the statistics. And it's why. It's because we're growing and we're maturing. We're becoming more like Christ Jesus. One of our privileges and our responsibilities is to consistently grow up in God's family. Second thing is, we are building our entire lives upon Jesus. What is our privilege and our responsibility as God's people? We are building our entire lives upon Christ Jesus. Our entire lives are on Christ Jesus. Look at verses 4 through 8. As you come to him, the living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he says, for see, I lay a stone in Zion. Zion was like the victorious, glorious city of God. He says, hey, I'm laying a stone in Zion that's going to be victorious and glorious. His name is Jesus, a chosen and a precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him, the one who builds their life on that cornerstone, will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock which makes them fall. It's interesting that the Jesus, the precious cornerstone that we're to build our lives on, it is a foundation for some and a stumbling block. It's a stone that's in the way for others. Why? Because they're not building their lives, their spiritual lives, on the rock of Christ Jesus. He is not the precious cornerstone in their life. And as you read the rest of verse 8 there, it says they stumble because they don't obey the message. They stumble because they're disobedient to the message. We are building our entire lives on Christ Jesus. So to the world, you see, Jesus is a stumbling stone. And it's because he's a rejected stone. And because of that, they will not stand because their foundation is not on the rock of Christ Jesus. But to the Christian, the Christian says that Jesus is chosen and is a precious stone. He has been received by the Christian. And we put all of our trust in him before we go on constructing and building our lives. And you, you know this. You've seen it play out in people's lives. People that build their life on Christ Jesus and people who do not build their life on Christ Jesus. And so many times I think as Christians, sometimes we try to compartmentalize this. We don't want one to touch the other. We, you know, we try to put Jesus in a box. We bring him out on Sunday and and maybe Wednesday night, bring them out a couple times a week, but we like to put them back in the box, back in the drawer, shut it, and kind of... No, he is the foundation of every area of our life, our financial area of our life. Christ is, is, is the foundation of our finance. He's the foundation of our relationships, our friendships. He's the foundation of trust. He's the foundation of our marriage. He's the foundation of our career path. He's the foundation of every part, literally every part of our lives, is built upon the rock of Christ, Jesus. We don't get to pick and choose. It's not like, well, some areas. Like, I really like him being in my relationships and my marriage now. And my finances, eh, I'm not, you know, I'm not buying totally into that because Jesus is the Lord of my life. Don't get me wrong, but not that part of my life. You see? See what we do? And so we like, we, we, sometimes we pick and choose what, how we want to obey 
But then what does Jesus become? He's become what it says in verse 8. Now Jesus is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that will make them fall. They stumble because they don't, they don't obey. They disobey the message of Jesus. And Jesus wants to be the Lord of all of our life. Every facet, every corner, every part of our life. Every relationship that you have. Every future plan that you make in your mind. Every task and deed that you perform is done, what does it say in scripture? Is any, anything you do, anything you say, whether you eat or drink or anything you do, do it all for the what? For the glory of God. Why? Because he's the foundation, he's the cornerstone, and your whole existence in life is built upon him if you are a Christian. He's the foundation. And we are to be building our entire lives upon Christ Jesus. Last thing this morning, we are spiritual leaders on mission in the kingdom of God. We are spiritual leaders, and we're on mission for the kingdom of God. Let me explain, because this is, this is some deep stuff. You know, he started with the beginning there in verses 2 and 3, and he says, Hey, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you will grow up in your salvation. That we're to crave the pure spiritual milk of the word of God, and that in learning that and consuming that, just like a baby craves milk. You don't give a baby a pepperoni. Your baby's crying, you got a two-week-old newborn babe. You'd be like, oh, here, little Johnny, have a little pepperoni. No, I mean, that baby's going to, you know, first of all, they can't chew, right? They don't have, they don't know what to do. They don't have teeth and, you know, and you put that thing in there. I don't know what would happen to a baby. Don't try that at home, okay? It's not an endorsement. Don't make a TikTok or YouTube video about, oh, I gave him pepperoni, just like my preacher had said. No, but you, that, what do they crave? They crave, they pr- crave milk from mom, right? And they, and they like crave, they need it. That like sustains their livelihood, and they crave it. And if you're a mama and you've done that and you've been through the whole breastfeeding thing, you know. You know. It's, man, they, that, that, baby, that baby needs to be nourished. That baby needs it. And what he's saying here is just like a baby, like that's their, that's their life. I mean, that's their substance. I, like that's what's going to help them live and carry on and grow. He's saying just like a baby craves that, I want you babies to crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you will grow up in your salvation because, jump down to verse 5, it says, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What? A holy priesthood? Christians are being built, God's church, people that follow Jesus are being built into this holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. We are spiritual leaders on mission for God's kingdom. And then in verse 9, what did it say? A chosen people a royal priesthood. What is all this priesthood talk? Some of us, I, I think we don't get this because, because we, don't, we don't have the hierarchy. And some of us, we don't have the history because we haven't been reading the Bible. What's interesting is um, if you've been doing the Bible plan with us, I think there's 86, 87 of us on it now. We are in uh, kind of the deep, I call it the deep middle of ex- Exodus right now. God is giving the Israelites all these instructions for how to build the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, all this stuff. And he's getting these really, I mean, God is so structured and orderly. I want it just like this with five gemstones and, and I want them to be red and they're going to go on the right side of this and this gold and then silver plated this. You're going to make this of acacia wood and, and we're going to, you know, I mean, he's very specific. He's getting all of this and he's leading now, we're like what we're reading right now is that he's setting up the priesthood. What were the priests all about? You see, the priests were the mediators for the Israelites between God and the people. And God appointed them. He set them apart. 
He said, you're going to be from a certain tribe. You're going to be from a certain lineage. You're going to cleanse and purify yourselves. You're going to go through all of this process. You are the only ones that can actually come into the presence of God, to come into the tabernacle. They even set up a system where there was a high priest. So you had priests, and then you had the high priest. The high priest could go into this place, this inner, inner room once a year called the Holy of Holies. And there were so many rules with that. In fact, one of the interesting things, is they used to tie a rope around the foot of the high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies. And it's like, that's weird. Why would they do that? Because if he was struck down dead because he wasn't pleasing to God, they'd have a way to get him out because no one went in the Holy of Holies. These priests were the mediators between God's people and God himself. And what was their specialty? What was their specialty as the priests? Killing animals. Sacrifice. They were doing sacrifices of animals all the time. Now, what was the whole point of this? I, can't, I don't have time to go deep into it this morning. What was the whole point? The whole point from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve commit sin, when sin under the world, death under the world, and now we know there's a rule, atonement, right? Something has to pay for your sin. And God, as a visual illustration for the complete Old Testament, does animal sacrifices. When you sin, something has to die, and the blood of the animal, the blood of the lamb many times, covers the sin. And so the priests were the ones that were doing that. And you would say, well, how does this play out with us today? Like, like what, what is Peter doing calling people in this pagan culture, the world's going the wrong direction, and he's, he's urging God's people twice in these 10 verses, and he's calling them priests and a royal priesthood and a, a, a holy priesthood. But notice in verse 5, it says, we're offering spiritual sacrifices. So it's a little different. We're not killing animals. If you're a part of the holy priesthood, the royal priesthood today, you are not called to, to offer animal sacrifices. So nobody go home and do the cat today, okay? I don't like cats, and you know, but you know, we're, don't, don't, you, we don't need to do that. Why? Because we know that Jesus came once and for all, and it's the sacrifice. And when Jesus made the sacrifice, we get it right at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, he became the ultimate sacrifice. So we as a priesthood now, we don't offer the sacrifice. The sacrifice has been offered for us. What do we do as mediators, as priests? We are called by God to be a mediator between the lost people in the world and God himself, and we show them the pathway to God. Something else interesting is that if you read the book of Hebrews, Jesus is actually referred to as our high priest. You see, the way it was in the Bible is you went to the priest, and the priest would go to God on your behalf. You didn't get to go to God directly. You're too sinful, too dirty, too filthy. But when Jesus died, do you remember how the curtain in the temple was recorded? When Jesus actually was crucified in that moment where he breathed his laugh, he says, it is finished, and he actually died on the cross. It records in Scripture that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. I love that it was top to bottom. Because if you think about it, that thing was 25 foot high, okay? I mean, it was like the hands of God saying, guess what? You have access to me now. Jesus paid it all. You don't have to go to a priest to pray to me. You don't have to go to a priest and confess your sins. You can confess your sins right to me. Jesus has become our high priest. And we, as a royal priesthood, serving our high priest, Jesus Christ, who was the sacrifice for us, now we know about the atonement offered for us for the forgiveness of sins, and our job is to be the mediators to the world. Another passage in the New Testament, we're called ambassadors for Christ. 
We are his representatives to the lost and dying world, but we're called to be a royal and a holy priesthood. Are you living your life and acting like and resembling someone who is royal and holy as a servant of God? And are you doing the call that we get called to here in Peter to be this priesthood that we share Christ with the world, that we are the mediators, that we are the ambassadors for Christ? It's amazing. Just as he called us out of darkness, it says, we are now his ambassadors and his representatives to offer the light of Jesus to the world. Let's read the rest of that, verse 10, or or at the end of verse 9. He says, now that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, out of your life of sin, repent of your sins, and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you were lost. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How? Through the living hope, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as a royal priesthood, it's a high calling. It's a high and holy calling for us as Christ followers. We don't offer sacrifice on behalf of people like the priests of the Old Testament. But we offer them Jesus who is the sacrifice for them and for us once and for all. And we're called to live out those priestly duties. Because here's the fact, folks. With our great privileges as God's people come great responsibilities. When God called you out of darkness and into light, we, we, we love the privileges, right? We've got salvation. We got hope at the end. We have forgiveness of sins. We can walk in newness of life. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. God can restore and redeem marriages. He can restore and redeem loneliness. He can make your financial situation and turn it around. I mean, God can do so many things. We love the privileges, but with those privileges come responsibilities. And Peter reminds us here you are a holy and royal priesthood, a holy nation. A chosen people. God's special possession is his people. And he's called you out of darkness and to come into his glorious light. And how, how, how do we live this out? He gives us in that middle part of the passage today. He says to build your spiritual foundation on the rock, on the cornerstone. Because if you don't, there's literally hell to pay. I want to end this morning with this. It's in the red letters, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. As he's ending the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends it with this little blurb about wise and foolish builders. Listen to what Jesus says. Let this speak to you this morning. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, okay, catch that. Those who hear these words of mine and puts them into practice, actually do what I'm telling them to do. He is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because its foundation was on the precious cornerstone of Jesus Christ our Lord. And when life happens to you, you can stand because you're on the rock. 
But Jesus goes on and says, but everyone who hears these words of mine, so just like before, hey, we heard the words, right? Yeah, whoever hears these words of mine, but does not put them into practice. Uh-oh, does not put them into practice. He is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And oh my, how horrific was the crash. Why? Because they didn't build their spiritual house, their spiritual life on Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. And you have to have that right to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God's chosen people to take the message of the gospel of the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world. Is your life built upon Christ Jesus? And if you're sitting here this morning saying, man, I'm not, I'm not sure or Noah isn't, or you know, I had a season where I was building on Christ Jesus and I started building on myself and on my career, my, my 401k, start building on that. I put all my trust in, in the security that the world can offer me and not that the security that God Almighty can offer me. It's time to build your life. And you make a decision from now forward to say it's built on the rock of Christ Jesus and he's the precious cornerstone because I, I'm gonna stand firm. What did he say in First Peter chapter five? The whole theme of the book is our living hope is Christ Jesus. Stand fast in that faith. You stand firm, stand up, and do what God has called you to do.